morning and uh, greet those on um, the internet that are watching. Is my sound okay? Sound? Is it loud? Take it down a little bit. Say what? You want to hear as well. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? All right. Is all the offering done already? Still allowed. I don't know what's going on, but you guys will fix it. All right. Well, we're going to stand one more time. Since you're not going to do exercises today, you'll be lying in front of TV. Okay, some of you won't. That's okay. That's okay. So before I pray, I have a question for you. Are you dating Jesus and the Bible? Or are you engaged to Jesus and the Bible? Or are you married to Jesus and the Bible? Hmm? It's a question you have to ask yourself. How deep is your relationship? How deep is your relationship? How committed are you to that relationship with Jesus and the Bible? I trust that by the end of the service... You'll all be married. (laughs) Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the anointing today that you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide, to lead us, to be our teacher, to bring revelation and understanding of you, Father, of Jesus and himself and the Word of God. Today, we ask that every person listening will be able to focus, give full attention, comprehend with revelation in their hearts and minds, and will understand just how powerful and accurate your word is, and that our lives will forever be changed. I ask Holy Spirit to speak through me and give me supernatural recall of what we've prepared in Jesus' name. And everybody said, You may be seated. Thank you. So what are we going to discuss today? I'll tell you what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what happened in the month of Av, that's A-V, Jewish calendar. And is it coincidence? And we're going to look at the significance of the number seven. And we're going to look at the rapture as revealed through the Feast of Trumpets. And then also we're going to look at the Hebrew names that are given for the Feast of Trumpets and how that they prophesy what is to be initiated at this feast. This feast is going to initiate something, many things in fact. All right, so let's give you a quick Uh, teaching on the Hebrew months. Many people don't know what the Hebrew months are, Jewish months in their calendar, versus the Gregorian calendar, which is the calendar we go by. 
And uh, so I'm going to only give you the first seven months. I don't need to give you the rest for, for today and for the teaching we're doing. Uh, the first seven months are the important ones. So let's go. Month number one is Nissan. Nissan. And that covers the month, month April, March, April. It, they run over. They bleed over. So it's not the beginning of March, the end of March. It's somewhere in the middle of March, and it bleeds over into April. In this month of Nissan, we have the Passover feast, the feast of the unleavened bread, and the feast of first fruits. They all happen on that month. All right, and we've already discussed those. Then the, the, the next month, number two, is ER, and it covers the month of April, May. As you'll see, there's an overflow from Nissan, April, to the next one, April, May. Do you see that overflowing? The next month, the third month, is Sivan, and it's May, June. That is the month of the Feast of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. And that's the month that it occurs in. The fourth month is Tammuz, and it covers June, July. The fifth month is the month of, and that's the month I said I'm going to start with today. We're going to look at some things that occurred on that month. The next month, number six, is Elul, and it covers August, September. And the last month we're going to look at today is number seven. Everybody say seven. Tishri. Tishri covers the September, October of our calendar, and it is the new year for the Jewish people, also known as Rosh Hashanah. That is when they celebrate Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. They all happen in that month. So you can see they're very clearly spread apart, the first three in the um, spring and the last three in the fall as the end of summer. That's when the next feasts occur. So now what happened in the month of Av that I think it's important enough for us to look at and to see whether it was coincidence or not? Let's begin with the 10 spies. Remember the 12 tribe, the 12 spies returned from the promised land and uh, 10 said, we can't go in and get it. We're not able to go in and get it. Remember that? And then God said, well, uh, you, were, you, you said all these things that you're going to be die in there, and your kids are going to die, and so on and so forth. Remember all these things? And God said, okay, I'm sending you out back into the desert, going to go for 40 years, and everything that you said would happen in the promised land is actually going to happen to you in the desert. So you're going to die, except those under the age of 20 are not going to die. So literally God cursed them at that time, correct? This is what's going to happen, and they all died. That day that the 10 spies spoke out, was the ninth day of Av. The ninth day. Remember that. The ninth day of Av. Now, in the year 587, 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, burnt the temple to the ground. All right? Burnt the temple to the ground. That was Solomon's temple. And took Israel captive to Babylon. That day was the ninth day of Av. Destroyed the temple, and they were all taken into captivity. How many years did they spend in Babylonian captivity? Seventy years. Zerubbabel was one of the priests that led them out, took them back to Israel, and you might remember that he built the second temple. Built the second temple. On the temple mount where 
Solomon's temple was originally built. The temple that Zerubbabel built was the temple Jesus preached in. That was the temple Jesus said, everything you see will be broken down, every stone will be broken down. That happened in 70 AD when the Romans came in, burnt down the city of Jerusalem, and destroyed the second temple. And that day was the ninth day of Av, the exact same day. Now, we will not see the third temple, which is the tribulation temple, being built before we are raptured. People keep talking about <coughs> when is the tribulation temple going to be built? When is the tribulation temple going to be? We're waiting for the tribulation. That's the next. It's not. Listen carefully to me. The tribulation temple will be built when the Antichrist gives permission. The Antichrist, in the beginning of the tribulation period, before he is known as the Antichrist, will be a very powerful political leader. He will negotiate a seven-year contract with Israel and surrounding nations. At the moment, the Temple Mount does not belong to Israel. Although they are praying on it, they cannot build the temple on it. What's going to happen is this powerful leader who will become the Antichrist will negotiate a seven-year contract with Israel and then they will, will be allowed to build the temple. Whether he gets permission for them to build the temple before the seven-year period starts, I can't say. But I know this, that he will negotiate a seven-year contract, exactly the same period of time as the tribulation period. And it is the middle of the tribulation period that he moves into the temple, sets himself up as God, and demands worship. So it has to be functioning. He also stops all worship in the temple of the sacrifices of the animals, the lambs. He stops that. And he says, you're going to worship me. So the temple has to be in existence for that to happen. It took 49 years to build the second temple, but he didn't have a lot of people and didn't have a lot of material. I don't believe it's going to take that long to build the tribulation temple with the current um, instruments that we have and vehicles that we have and equipment that we have and material and, and people that we could, they could build it in a much shorter period of time. But it's going to be built after the rapture. This means, and I'm just throwing this out there, I'm just throwing this out there, that there is most likely going to be a period of time between the rapture and the time that the great tribulation starts. I am now beginning to believe that it doesn't happen the next day. That there is a time for the Antichrist to come into power. There's going to be a time to clean up the chaos that's in the world as a result of what happened after the rapture. The world is going to be in chaos. There's not going to be immediate peace. And I also know the Antichrist brings a pseudo-peace and there's great prosperity for a short period of time. Well, that can't happen the next week or month after the rapture. It's not possible. So he's going to have to bring some things about for that to happen, and then he's going to gain his power. Remember, he doesn't become the Antichrist until the first seal is released in heaven. The first seal. That is when he's released as the Antichrist. Until then, he's a popular political figure, gaining momentum in the world. Now, the Jews were kicked out of England in the year 1290 on the ninth day of Av. 
They were expelled from Spain if they did not become converts to Catholicism on the ninth day of Av. World War I started on the ninth day of Av. Hitler's proclamation to exterminate the Jews was made on the ninth day of Av. The year 2005, when Israel gave up the portion of the promised land that they should never have given up, there were 21 settlements in the Gaza Strip that had to evacuate. And that happened on the eve of the ninth day of Av. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think the day that God pronounced that curse was the ninth day of Av, and that's been a problem for Israel since then. Now, what is the significance of the number seven? Why is that important to us in the study we're looking at? Well, there's 735 times in the Bible where the number seven is actually used, but there's actually more references to seven than that, way over 800, and I'll show you. In the book of Revelations alone, the number is used 54 times in one book. What does the number seven signify? It signifies connection, uh, completion, fulfillment of promises. So it is completion and exoneration, exoneration from debt and sin. That's what you'll see. So remember those three words, completion, exoneration, and fulfillment of promises. Now, let's have a look at some of the references. I won't give you all 800, okay? <laughs> oh, not enough people. Everybody wants 800? Okay. Okay, so let's begin with the very first one, creation. On the seventh day, God called it a Sabbath. He had finished creation. It was completed. It was completed and you rested. So there was a completion that took place. The door of the ark was open for seven days, even after it started raining, before God shut the door. Remember, God shut the door seven days. He gave them grace. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, the Israelites were told to cancel all debts of the Hebrews and to set all Hebrew slaves free. That's not referring to the Jubilee. It's every Sabbath, every seven years they had to do this. Every Hebrew that was in debt had to be released every Jewish slave had to be released every seven years. <clears throat> Joshua was told to march around Jericho seven times on the seventh day and blow the shofar. And you're going to see why the shofar is important. I'm going to read you a scripture that's not in your notes. It's found in Joshua 6 and verse 4. This is what God told Joshua, and Joshua told the people to do. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns. That's not a regular trumpet. It's a shofar. In front of the ark, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, which would be the last blast, have all the people give a loud shout. That was his instructions. Naaman was told, to dip in the Jordan River seven times to get healed of his leprosy. It took seven years to build Solomon's temple. Only seven. But he built it with 183,300 men. 
He had a team of 30,000 people just cutting stone that go away for one month that cut, come back for two months. He had 70,000 people carrying stuff. 80,000 people building it with 3,300 foremen. That's a crowd. And it still took seven years. The numbers today are astronomical. It's in the billions and billions of dollars it would have cost to do that. Okay? When, uh, when uh, the, by the way, you all know the Jubilee is how many years? 50, but it's made up of what? Seven times seven. Seven years of seven Sabbath years plus one. So it's made up of 49 or 50 years. When, uh, <coughs> excuse me, when Zerubbabel uh, went to build his temple, it took 49 years. That is seven weeks of years. Remember, it was prophesied. Seven weeks of years. Not to get too complicated. That's how long it took to build the second temple. Now, in the year of Jubilee, all debts are canceled. Exoneration occurs. All slaves are free. When uh, Jesus told Peter to forgive people who sin against you, how many times were we told to forgive them? Seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. Jesus healed seven people on Sabbath days. Jesus made seven statements on the cross. Those numbers are not included in my 800 because I'm counting up different things that come to seven. What is, the prophetic, what is the prophetical significance of this number seven? Where am I going with it? Well, the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, if you read it, prophesied of the coming Messiah that he would uh, embody seven qualities of the Savior of the world, seven qualities. When Daniel prophesied about Israel, he prophesied how many weeks of years? How many weeks? 70 weeks. 70 weeks. And then he said would be to the completion of all things. Remember? So it means of completion. 70 weeks to the completion. He said, because it was weeks, that is actually, if you work it out, he said it was 70 times 7. Which is 490. 70 times 7 is 490. Daniel's 70th week is the tribulation week, which is seven years long. I've already told you that the Antichrist is going to have a seven-year agreement with Israel. When Jesus spoke in the book of Revelations, he spoke to seven churches. So God's judgment in the great tribulation is carried out, if you read the book of Revelations, with seven seals, seven trumpet blasts, and seven bowls being opened, carried out by seven angels. The Feast of Trumpets is on the seventh month, the very first day. Have I said enough to tell you number seven is important? Okay, so I'm getting to the beginning of my sermon now. We're talking about the Feast of Trumpets, and I wanted you to know it's not the Feast of Crumpets. 
This is really going to happen. It's going to happen exactly as God said it was going to happen. The first, fee, the first four are completed as it was prophesied was going to happen. So let's have a look. The Feast of Trumpets, also called Yom Teruah. That's the Jewish name for it, the Hebrew name for it. Leviticus 23, verse 4. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. In other words, when the new moon appeared, that was the first day, the first day of the month of Tishri. And it didn't matter what day of the week it was, God said that day is a Sabbath. It could be a Wednesday, it could be a Thursday, it didn't matter. It didn't have to be the Saturday. God declared the first day to be a Sabbath day. Very important. So the seventh month of Tishri corresponds in the Gregorian calendar to our months of September, October. Now, the first day of this month, Tishri, is the first year, first day of the new year of the Jewish calendar. Even though we showed you that Nisan is the first month, that is not the first day of the new year. I don't know how you figure that out. You know, our first day is the 1st of January. That's easy. We clock over. Here we are, 1st of January. Not to them. Tishri, the first day of Tishri is the beginning of the new year. So that's when their calendar clicks over. They also believe that it was on the first day of Tishri that God created Adam. So they work back their time all the way to that, and they say that is the day God created Adam. So the first day of Tishri, the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as um, Rosh Hashanah, okay? it is the biblical name is Yom Teruah, which is the name I gave you, Rom Teruah. It is also translated as the day of blowing the ram's horn. The day of blowing the ram's horn. Now, I have a quote here from a lady called Zola Livet, Jewish lady who's gone to be with the Lord. And uh, this is what she said. She said the trumpet, the shofar, the trumpet, uh, was a signal to the field workers that the priest would get on the parapet of the temple and blow the trumpet. When the trumpet sounded, the faithful harvesting the crop would stop work. Even though there was more harvesting to be done, they would stop what they were doing and they would all go to the temple to join in worship. And that would be the end of the harvest, even though there was more to be harvested. This feast actually marks the end of the summer harvest. You see, the harvest began in the spring with Pentecost. But it ends with the rapture of the church at the end of summer. That is when it is over and done with. So the Feast of Tabernacles foreshadows an end of an era. It is the end of the summer harvest. It is the resurrection of the dead, and it is the rapture of the bride. And then a beginning of a new period prophesied as 
Jacob's troubles begin. Now, the word teruah that I showed you in the beginning is the Hebrew name means a battle cry, sounding of an alarm, even shouting. That's exactly what happened when they conquered Jericho. There was a battle cry, there was a sounding of the alarm with the trumpet, the shofar, and there was shouting, right? This feast is actually called that, the tabernacle, the uh, feast of um, trumpets that we're going to right now. Now we go to the New Testament. I'm going to prove to you that the New Testament clearly prophesies that the rapture is going to occur at the time of the feast of trumpets. Are you ready? Here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Everybody say shout. Notice it says descend from heaven. It means he's not here. He's coming here. And he's coming from heaven. He will descend and there will be a shout. And the voice of an ark, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Everybody say trumpet of God. Notice these things. Notice shout. Notice trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Where are we going to be when we meet the Lord? In the air. We're not going to be on the ground. We're not going to be on earth. It didn't say Jesus is coming to the earth and we're going to run up to Jerusalem to meet him. Or we're going to get glorified bodies and fly to Jerusalem. It said we're going to meet him in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, <clears throat> you've heard people who do not believe in the rapture say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. How can you believe it? Well, I can also say this. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. So now what? You don't believe in the Trinity? It is a term we give to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's an English word to explain three in one, Trinity. doesn't have to be in the Bible. We understand that's what it means. But the word rapture, if we look at the Greek word for this word caught up, the Greek word is harpazo, which means to catch away, up, to pluck, to pull, to take by force. If you can't see rapture in that, you don't want to. That's what it means. That's the word caught up. Therefore, he concludes, comfort one another with these words. Well, Bible prophecy, as we're sharing the last five weeks with you, if understood correctly, would comfort you. It's not going to cause fear to become the Freddy Bunch. It's going to comfort you. What is the comfort? You are not going to go through the great tribulation. You're going to be rescued. You're going to be caught away. You're going to meet Jesus with glorified body. And we're going to be with the Lord forevermore. That's what the Bible teaches. You'll not have to go through it. Because that tribulation, the great tribulation, is God pouring out His wrath on an unrepentant world of people who have rejected Jesus Christ. 
They don't want anything to do with Jesus. The gospel had been preached to them, and they didn't care. They brushed it off. I'll do my own thing. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to pay my tithe. I don't have to worship God. I can be independent of God and do my own thing. Those are the people that will be here during the Great Tribulation on whom God will pour out His wrath and anger. It is a judgment time. It is not a pruning time or a proving time or a refining time of the church. When the trumpet sounds, people, we're going to experience the greatest miracle since Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible says that of the mouth of two or three witnesses let everything be established. Let me give you another scriptural verse this time. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means dead. We will not all die. Christians don't die. They fall asleep in Christ. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Everybody say last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Now, <clears throat> let me explain a little bit more about the Feast of Trumpets so you can understand why these two scriptures I've read clearly predict, prophesy, and foreshadow the rapture of the church at the time of the Feast of Trumpets. On the Feast of Trumpets, they would blow the shofar 100 times in that day. But the 100th blast of the trumpet was long and loud, and it was known as the last trumpet. On two occasions, Paul said by the Spirit of God that the rapture is going to occur at the last trumpet. The walls fell down at Jericho, on the last trumpet. It was a long, loud blast. And there was a shout and the walls came down. Now, I am not predicting or prophesying when Jesus will come back except to say this. It will be at the Feast of Trumpets. I'm not telling you what year. I'm not trying to predict what year it will come, that you'll come. But all I'm saying is you could live like a sinner till September if you want to. <laughs> How many say, no thanks, Pastor? Amen. Say, been there, done that. Amen. Yep, amen. There's so many people that actually really think, you know, if I knew the rapture was coming tomorrow, I'd change the way I live. Why? If you know something's wrong now, you better fix it now. Right? Don't be living lukewarm, hoping to, you know, hear the trumpet sound. Okay, now I quickly can repent. The fire's gone out. The fire's gone out. Don't do that. But I believe that the very moment, that was Paul was saying, the very moment that trumpet sounds, we will be caught away. That is the time it's going to happen. Now, the feasts, the feasts are the only time that are celebrated by the shofar, the blowing of the trumpet of the horn of the ram. 
It is also, listen to me, this particular feast of trumpets is the only one out of all seven that occurs on the first of the month when there is a new moon, which is the darkest period of the month. The darkest time is when the rapture is going to happen. The rest happen when there's a full moon in the middle of the month. God is talking to us and has been sending signals to the world we just didn't know. But you know what? Now we're getting the revelation understanding we're just a little late to the party. But thank God we're getting it. Amen? Now we can tell our friends, we can tell our neighbors, we can tell our relatives, listen, I have heard more information concerning the rapture than I've ever heard before. You have got to listen to me. In ancient Israel, the new moon began each month, and it's normally celebrated by short trumpet blasts, the new moon, okay, first of the month. But the new moon on the seventh month is celebrated with the long trumpet blast, loud, other, different than the other first days of the month, the new moon. Why? Because this is much more significant. Now, after dysphoria, and if you don't know what that word means, it means the scattering of the Jews around the world. Say what? Diaspora. So what happened is because the Jews were all over the world, New moon was different in different parts of the world. And nobody knew then when Tishri began and when Hanukkah began, I mean uh, Rosh Hashanah, and when this feast began. So what they did is they began to have a two-day period. So no matter where you were in the world, you could participate in this new moon celebration. So they began to call it one long day. That's what they called it, one long day. So the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets then became a mystery. As Jesus said, no one knew the exact day or hour it began. And that's the reason nobody knows because it's now become a two-day thing. Let's talk to you a little bit about the blowing of the shofar. It is not a normal trumpet that gets blown, and it's only used at the celebration of feasts. That's why it was so strange that they used it when they brought down Jericho walls. How did it start? You all know the story. You remember that God told Abraham to go and offer Isaac. And he goes with Isaac, he takes the wood, the knife, everything else, but no sacrifice. He binds Isaac. Isaac says, Dad, you've got everything, all the implements, but where's the sacrifice? What were the famous words Abraham said to Isaac? God will provide himself a sacrifice, symbolizing Jesus, God himself, on that thing. He was about to kill his son when the angel stopped him, said, don't do it. Caught in the thicket in the bush was a ram. The ram became the substitution sacrifice. And from that day, they used the ram's horn for the sacrificial blowing on the feasts. 
because they remembered Abraham's obedience and willingness to sacrifice his son. It was that important. Amen? So, there is no doubt in my mind the Feast of Tabernacles, a Feast of uh, Trumpets, is the next feast to be celebrated, and it is the next feast that will be fulfilled prophetically. Four have already been done, exactly. Now we're going into the fall after summer. We're going into the fall, and the first of the fall feasts is the Feast of Trumpets. But wait, there's more. Now let me go and give you some Hebrew names for Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the new year, the time that they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. And there are seven names. Are you getting it? Why would I give you 777 today? Well, there you go. It's better than 666. Here are the seven. Feast of Trumpets, the Wedding of the Messiah, the Hidden Day, the Time of Jacob's Trouble, the Day of the Awakening Blast, the Day of Judgment, and the Coronation of the Messiah. Those are all Hebrew idioms given for this feast and this time. I'm going to just start with, we've already looked at the Feast of Trumpets, so I'm going to go to the wedding, feast of the, the wedding of the Messiah. So in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Blow the ram's horn. So what is the ram's horn? Speak with me. Shafar. It's the shafar. It's not the usual trumpet. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Call the people together. Call all the people together. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Now, marriage in, in, in ancient Israel worked this way. It was an arranged marriage. You might remember Abraham sent his trusted servant to go and look for a bride for Isaac. Remember that? So, that, so it was arranged marriages. So what would happen typically is that the bridegroom would go to the house of his future father-in-law, to meet his bride, and it may well be for the very first time to see her face to face. Maybe the first time. Did you hear that? Sometimes this was the first time. They probably might have met. Now, he brought with him three things. The first thing he did is brought a wedding contract. And then he brought a skin of wine, and he also brought the price for the bride. In South Africa, they still practice this amongst the African nations. They bring what's called labola, and they, they have to pay the father-in-law for the bride. So now, once the father of the bride approved the bride price, the young man would make a presentation of his love to her. And they would have a glass of wine together. They would break the glass and then this betrothal contract would become a legal document. The legal document's name in the Hebrew is a ketubah. I believe I have it up there for you, the, the contract. That's what it was called. Now, once that was done, hold on to you, hold on your seats now, the priest would bless them and pronounce seven blessings over them. The couple would have drunk the wine break the glass, and usually there would be a statement like, 
Okay, I'm not going to drink any more wine until I see you again. Now they were legally married. Okay? But they hadn't enjoyed the wedding ceremony yet. They were still some time away. At this point, now the bridegroom would take his bride aside and he would tell her, I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to build a chamber for us on his home. And when I'm finished, I will come and get you so that you can come with me and live in the chamber I built for you. Once the father of the groom approved what was built, he then decided to allow his son to return to get his bride. And the bridegroom did not know when he would return and when the wedding would begin. Of that day and hour, no one knows except the father. But the bride was confident that her groom would come back for her because he had made a vow, he had made a pledge, he had made promises, and he had paid the price for her. Usually with gold, silver, and animals. Now as the time grew closer, the excitement rose in the bride with anticipation she would begin to gather friends around her, her closest friends. And they would be watching and waiting. But then they began to get so tired of watching and waiting that they used to take turns of staying awake in twos. So this could sleep, waiting for the trumpet sound and the voices of the young men accompanying the groom. That's what they were waiting for. Tradition says that the groom's father would wait until the groom had tied himself out and was sleeping deeply. And sometime in the middle of the night, he'd go and wake him and whisper to his, in his ear, Son, it's time for you to go and get your bride. And the groom was so happy, he got up in the middle of the night. He didn't mind. And he grabbed some of his young men and he went to get his bride. And they were shouting and noise and trumpets blowing as they were coming to get his bride. So excited. <clears throat> and that is why Jesus gave the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25, verse 6, And at midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 and verse 2, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Jesus was giving them a Jewish marriage speech. They understood exactly what he was saying. There was no doubt about it. You see, Jesus gave us a contract, a kutubu, a legal document. The word of God with his promises, written out for us. Jesus made vows to us of his love for us. And Jesus 
has invited us to the most glorious wedding celebration ever to take place in all eternity. Revelations chapter 19 verse 7 through 9 says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb will take place in heaven while the great tribulation is taking place on earth, while God's wrath is being poured out on the earth. God is not going to pour His wrath out on the bride of His Son. He is not going to pour those, His anger out on those in the church that love Jesus. Not going to happen. And number four, Jesus paid the ultimate price for His bride. In 1 Peter 1.18 it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed. That is what the bridegroom used to do, silver and gold and animals. But it is with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Now the word redeemed here, for if you don't understand what that means, it means to buy back something that was lost or sold. Redeemed. So it was widely used to refer to the payment made for a slave to set them free from captivity. In other words, the blood of Jesus Christ paid the price for us, His bride, to be set free from captivity. We had been taken captive by Satan. We were lost and a price had to be paid. Something had to be given, and it was the blood of Jesus, not gold or silver. Back to the story of the ten virgins. We pick it up in verse 8 of Matthew 25. Jesus continues and says, The foolish ones said to the wise, and they fell asleep, the foolish ones said, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are gone out or going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for, for both of us and for you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready, the virgins who were ready, those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came and said, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. A couple of things. I believe 50% of the church will be left behind. 50% of the church will not go in the rapture. People who claim to be believers, even people who go to church now and then, will not go. I have three scriptures for you. I have the one right here where Jesus said there are ten virgins. Five are left behind. Five go. That's 50%. Jesus said two are going to be in the field grinding. One will be taken. One will be left. Jesus said two will be in the bed. One will be taken. One will be left. Two will be grinding at the meal, uh, at the, at the uh, mill. One will be taken. One will be left. 50%. Now, in one parable, Jesus says, two will be grinding in the field or working in the field. Another one, he says, two will be asleep in the bed. Why did he do that? Because one is day, one is night, because it's in two days. 
One part of the world is in day, one part of the world is at night. 50% is going to be left behind. I'm telling you now, 50% is going to be left behind. Why? Because their flame has gone out. This is what happened. Their flame went out. See? Either they got tired of waiting or they got drawn away into the world. Listen very carefully. The ones who went were the ones who were ready and waiting to go. Who shut the door? God did. When they went in, the door was shut. I told you God shut Noah's door. God is going to shut the door. Once the door is shut, there's no way you can knock on the door and go back. You can't fall on your face and scream and cry and say, oh, God, I was a Christian. I did serve you. I did, I did, I, I did my best. Do you understand? what? No, it's be too late. When God shuts the door, he shuts the door. Let this comfort you. How? Get right with God if you're not. Keep your flame burning. Keep watching for the return. You know it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. It's going to happen much sooner than you think. Much sooner than you think. And you need to be ready and watching. You need to be awake and alert for the time is coming. He is coming soon. There is no doubt about it. Jesus finished this parable by saying, Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. Be looking up. Be prepared. Keep your heart ready. Keep serving God. Be passionate for the things of God. This is not a time to become lukewarm. This is not a time to be an iffy Christian. This is a time to be married to Jesus, married to the Bible, serving God with all your passion. You who have heard me today and those who are listening and watching on the, on the internet, you are blessed today beyond all things that could have happened to you this year because the Spirit of God has spoken to you to prepare your heart. You know what is required. You have received the truth. The truth has been spoken to you in love by grace so that it didn't hurt you. It didn't hurt you, but it inspired you to take your walk with God to a new level, to become a greater evangelist than you have ever been before, to pray in the Spirit than you've ever done before, to attend more prayer meetings, to do whatever you can to serve God, to love your neighbor as yourself, to let God know that you love Him with all your heart. This is not a work that you're going to do. It's an outpouring of your love because you know Jesus has made a promise. He's, he's given you His love vows. He's, he's, he's told you He's coming back for you. He's prepared a place for you. And He said He's coming back on the Feast of Trumpets. He will come back. He will come back. And it's going to happen, church. As the Word of God says, choice is yours. Now I have five more names about the Feast of Trumpets, but my time is up. We'll have to continue that on another time. Every eye closed. Dear Holy Spirit, we thank you for moving in our midst today, for inspiring our hearts, for showing us truth and revelation. It is amazing as the Word of God is being revealed to us and unfolding to us, as we see the connection now with the marriage feast. We see, Lord, what the trumpets mean. We see what Jesus was telling His disciples. Oh, God, we are blown away when we see the number seven and how important that is. Lord, we just give our hearts to you afresh today. We surrender ourselves, hold nothing back. We pray that we would fulfill your plan, your purposes for our life. Lord, I thank you that you've lit a fire under us, a fire that will not be quenched as we look forward to the return of Jesus. But Lord, my heart goes out to those who haven't made that decision who are sitting on the fence 
who once came to the promise but have withdrawn, walked away. Who are living a lukewarm, half-hearted, uncommitted life or have chosen the world. Oh God, give us the love, the courage, the grace to reach out with such compassion and conviction to those that we know. I pray, Lord, if there's any person in this building today that hasn't made you Lord and Savior, that they will do it immediately, right now, without waiting. While every eye is closed, no one looking around. Dear friend, if you're here today and you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, if you haven't committed yourself to Him, you understand that God singled you out to talk to you today, to prepare you, so that you don't miss the rapture. You don't end up in the great tribulation. Would you respond today by simply lifting your hand for prayer and say, Pastor Henry, I've got to make right with God. Today's the day. I can't go on like this. Today's my day. Just lift your hand wherever you are. I'm looking across the congregation. I'm looking for those who are saying yes today. Yes to Jesus. You know, somebody might be saying, you can't scare me into the kingdom. I wish to God I could. I wish I could. But if you think that's what it's going to take to scare you in the kingdom, then you don't understand the love of God yet. Because it was His love on the cross that drew me when I stood what He suffered for me in my place. And my love for Him has continued to grow throughout 50 years of ministry, getting stronger and stronger. And here as I approach the age of 71, God is still giving me revelation, understanding that I didn't have before. And I'm so thankful that I know Him better today than when I first started out. I'm going to ask one more time. If you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you do it today? If you'd like to receive the Holy Spirit, you love Jesus with all your heart, but you haven't received His gift, He wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. This would be an opportunity to receive. If you'd like to raise your hand for that prayer, I'll pray for you as well. Anybody out there? All right. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and stand. We're going to pray for those who need healing today. I want to ask for the healing team, the ministry team, to come forward. These are powerful in the Spirit. You want a mic? Just grab the mic. Okay. Pastor Cindy just feels led by the Spirit to say that somebody out there listening today respond to this altar call. Please respond and pray that prayer. Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord. Ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me of all sin as I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, and I commit to following you all the days of my life. Pray for those who are listening. It was meaningful to them.
Amen. If you need healing in your body or you want prayer for anything, right now is the time. Would you come on out? Let's pray for you. In Jesus' name.